you are Locked On Dodgers, your daily Los Angeles Dodgers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I say D, I say D-O, D-O-D, D-O-D-G. D-O-D-G-E-R-S, team, 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 Hello, Dodger D-O-D-G-E-R-S. fans. Welcome to Locked On Dodgers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local sports daily podcast network. Locked On, your team every day. This is the daily podcast covering the Los Angeles Dodgers, bringing you the smart fans' perspective on our boys in blue. I am Jeff Snyder of Baseball Essential. My usual usual partner, Vince Semperio of Chavezerie and Fiends, is not here today, and that's because we have a special guest. It's Keith Law of The Athletic, formerly of ESPN. Uh, The original plan with this interview with Keith was to uh, have this run on Friday for our last episode of the week, and uh, then I got to talking to Keith, and there was so much good stuff that turned out there was two episodes worth. So so today will be the first half of my interview with Keith Law. We'll talk about Cabert Ruiz, Diego Cartaya, Gavin Lux, uh, Where to Eat in Arizona, and a few other things. So that's the plan for today. First, I want to remind you, please subscribe to Locked on Dodgers wherever you get your podcasts. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Dodgers. Uh, the only, only notable thing in Wednesday's Dodgers spring training game, uh, I mean, plenty notable, but the most notable thing was that Kenley Jansen looked awesome again, struck out the side on 11 pitches, uh, looked great. Obviously, still not reading too much into spring training results, but uh, all signs, no negative signs yet with Kenley. So that's good. Uh, and other than that, not much to talk about. So we're going to jump right into the prospect talk with Keith Law. Uh, so the next voice you hear will be me talking to Keith Law. Okay, we are here with our special guest, Keith Law of The Athletic, just recently of The Athletic, formerly of ESPN. Uh, Keith, thank you for taking the time to join us. Yep, sure thing. Uh, first question, how dare you? Um, <laughs> why do you hate the Dodgers? Ah, uh, yes. Actually, it's one team I haven't been accused of hating this week. Well, so. that's good. Yeah, yeah. it would be hard to read your top 100 and think this guy hates the Dodgers because there are five Dodgers on the list, one uh, guy who was very recently a Dodger, and uh, mm-hmm. and then one more on your just-missed list, uh, honorable mentions, wh- whatever you want to call it. Uh, yep. And I thought maybe we'd start with him. It's Cabert Ruiz, who, uh, probably no surprise to you, you seem to be lower on him than most other lists. He's been uh, on pretty much every other top 100 list and pretty high on some of them, and he makes your just missed list. Uh, and actually Diego Cartaya is on your top 100. And so I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about, uh, what you see between Ruiz and Cartaya and what led you to put Cartaya at 91 on your list and Ruiz not quite on the list. I honestly, if someone has Ruiz on their top 100, I I think it's a fair question of how accurate or recent their information is. He had terrible trouble throwing last year. Uh, to the point where I had more than one scout question if he had the yips. And he certainly, the best report I had on him was that his arm was well below average. I, I know that throwing isn't as important as it used to be, but you have to be able to throw the ball to second base. Yeah. And there's a pretty legitimate question of whether Ruiz can do that. And then on top of that, really, he's been young for his levels, but he really hasn't performed. I actually think there's some more power in there, but he's not getting to it. And I did hear from quite a few scouts that they were starting to question whether he was ever going to get to it. I have less of a concern about that. Uh, There were always questions about how good a catcher Ruiz was going to be. I I think at this point now, 
there are questions about whether he's just going to be able to stay at the position. If you still have Ruiz high on a top 100 ranking, I, I think that is based on probably older information or speculation about what kind of defender he was going to be. But given how bad he looked all across last season, I confirmed this with many scouts because of course he was a top 100 candidate coming into assembling the list. When I start putting together the, the list, um, you know, I don't just start with a hundred names, right? I start with a larger pool of yeah. that taken from all the, from all 30 clubs. And of course he was a candidate and I probably taught, he would, I would say he was on the list of guys I discussed most with scouts this off season, because when a player who's that high profile, whether maybe high in the draft or because he was high on my lists in the past, when I start to get the sense that he's uh, not the prospect I thought he was in, in previous years or on previous lists, then I want to particularly confirm it. And and, you know, I think the fact that multiple people came back to me too and said, hey, there's a reason the Dodgers are shopping this guy, um, you know, would indicate, even though the Dodgers would never obviously say that directly, they understand that his value has also taken a hit. And that Cartaya is, meanwhile, has risen. Cartaya is, he's not just the flavor of the week. He's extremely talented and he is a catcher and he catches really well. And he throws really well. I got to see him catch a little bit in instructs. got to see him swing, got to see the, actually the best part was just seeing the body up close. I know he's really young but he's performed so far in limited samples and boy, does it look promising. Like he might be worth you know, many times that what two and a, two and a half or so two and a quarter that they originally paid him. Huh? Yeah. And he, Cartaya, he's, he, what well, he played last season at 17 years old. He just turned 18 recently. Uh, what, where we, should we expect to see Cartaya the, this season? My guess is given their history, he will probably get to great lakes at some point this season they do seem to like to push some of those guys but i don't think he would start there one just because he's so young i'm sure he'll start and extended and two because it's so cold in great Lake. even if they decided out of spring training hey this guy's actually ready to go to full season ball at, well, i think he's still 18 right if they they decided to do that um they might still hold him back just for weather reasons um, and I have no issue with that, sending especially international prospects who've maybe never played in that kind of climate, sending them to you know, Wisconsin or Michigan. A lot of organizations just tell me outright they try to keep those players out of those environments in April because it's so different. For, you know, They've got enough of an adjustment. Don't add miserable weather on top of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, is he uh, – sorry, I, I haven't seen Cartai, obviously, in person. Uh, you have – you talked about his body. He, he's is he fully grown? No, I don't think he's maxed out necessarily, but he's a big kid, and he's going to have. He's a pretty athletic looking catcher, I would say, um, rather than you know. I think there's always the stereotype of the catcher, sort of a square bodied guy. Yeah, he's not like that. I think he's going to stay loose enough. God, he'll be 18 uh, this entire season. By the way, I just looked to make sure I that right. He was a September. He's a September baby. So okay. And he is still a baby, actually, at least in my, you know, right. If you're 28 years younger than I am, I'm going to say yes. You're still, yeah. Yeah. He's, he, yeah, he's 18. But he's still a child. Um, yeah. He could probably put on a little bit more muscle. I don't think he needs to put on a lot more. I think there's going to be power there already. Um, you know, the bigger question for me is just like, do they decide for matters of like pitch recognition or continuing to work with pitchers or just catch better stuff? I think it's a big issue for a lot of young catchers is probably, um, you know, he's Venezuelan. Has he caught much more than good velocity? Certainly it's a concern for guys coming out of the Dominican Republic where the, 
you know, if you get want to get signed as a pitcher in the Dominican Republic, the most important thing is to throw hard. American kids, American catchers, I think might have a little more experience catching breaking stuff, particularly coming out of college. They probably catch sliders all the time. So one developmental hurdle that extremely young players, catchers coming out of international markets might have is they've just got to learn to work, start catching better stuff, better quality off-speed stuff. I can't tell you where Cartaya is on that scale. Maybe he's already good at it. Um, you, we just haven't seen him enough, and I certainly haven't seen him enough to say so. But I could see that being a reason they say we're going to keep him an extended where he'll get to catch all kinds of stuff. Actually, if you stay in extended, you'll probably catch a lot of guys who throw hard and can't find the plate. Yeah. So that's a good challenge, actually. <laughs> so I could see any of these possible scenarios. But back to your question about the body, it's a good body. It is not maxed out. But at the same time, I don't think he needs to get a whole lot bigger either. There's already thunder in the bat. And you don't think he'll outgrow the position? You think he'll be I, able to I, stick a catcher? Yeah, I think he's a definite. He's a no-doubt catcher for me. He's only 6'2". That's definitely within range for catchers. Generally above 6'3 or so, your odds start to go down. Or if you get particularly heavy, and I don't think he's going to do that. Hey, you just said 6'3 and particularly heavy in the same sentence. You must be talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's take a quick break to talk about Arizona, where the Dodgers have spring training. Uh, in just a minute, you'll hear me ask Keith about his restaurant recommendations for where to eat when you go to spring training in Arizona. Uh, he only lists about a thousand places, so uh, lots of good stuff there. Uh, but I want to remind you, if you haven't ever been to spring training in Arizona, you really owe it to yourself to get over there. It's a quick little drive for Southern California. A ton of baseball, Dodger baseball, other baseball, 15 teams there. Great hiking, biking, outdoorsy stuff, uh, great nightlife, concerts, bars, restaurants, wineries, ton of stuff to do in Arizona. The weather is beautiful in February and March, and you should definitely be there. Um, and like I say in a minute, uh, with all the recommendations for restaurants that Keith gives, maybe you need to go spend a few weeks there because there is a ton to do in Arizona. So uh, between what you're about to get from Keith Law and anything else that you need to plan your trip, you can go to visit arizona.com slash spring training, where you can find links to places to stay, things to do, places to eat and all that stuff. So check out visit arizona.com slash spring training and keep it locked on Dodgers. Let's take a break from baseball. And uh, I, I promised our listeners that I would ask you for some recommendations on where to eat in Arizona when they drive over to see the Dodgers in spring training. Uh, what, you used to live in the Phoenix area, and you are a foodie. First time you and I met in person was me asking you for uh, restaurant tips in Nashville at the winter meetings, and you did not <laughs> let me down. Uh, so, you know, maybe in the Glendale area, if there is anything, but just in general, where should people eat when they go to go to Arizona? Yeah, the West Valley where Glendale is, is is weaker for good food than Central Phoenix, or especially if you go over towards Scottsdale area or even Tempe, there's probably more food. Uh, on the East Valley side. That's why I tend to stay on the East side. It has nothing to do with baseball. It's just, that's where the better food is. Um, uh, you know, I love going to the hillside spot over in Ahwatukee, Crepe Bar in Tempe, any of the Matt's big breakfast locations. I kind of rotate those three uh, for breakfasts while I'm out there. And Cartel Coffee, which there's Central Phoenix. I don't think they have anything west of there. Probably my favorite roaster out in the area. Um, the places I always suggest in Glendale, they've kind of been on my list forever. Cuff right in downtown Glendale, La Piazza Al Forno, which is very good. Neapolitan style, kind of wet center, wood-fired pizzas. Uh, there's a small chain called Tortas Paquime, which does um, 
you know, there's traditional Mexican sandwiches on, I think it's called tel telera bread. Um, they do the ahogada where they drown it in sauce. I can't, I mean, it's delicious. I just can't eat like that anymore. I'm an old man at this point. Um, I like them. I like Siam Thai, uh, which is a little far from the ballpark, but, you know, Glendale just sort of goes on forever. Pro's Ranch Market is a Mexican slash Latin American grocery store that also has lots of great prepared foods. And you can go in there and get like a five, six dollar burrito with carnitas that, you know, if I have that for lunch, I don't eat dinner. It's one yeah. of those. Um, so there's some good food to be had out in that direction. Uh, I just find that it's better to head into central Phoenix and then you've got, you know, that's where the hits are. It's where Pizzeria Bianco and Pane Bianco are. And, um, you know, then over in Scottsdale, there's F&B and Citizen Public House and um, very two honest crafts, especially if you want to go splurge a little bit. There's lots of places downtown. It's actually, it's a great food scene. The only, the one thing I tell people, Phoenix just lacks the super high end, um, you know, James Beard award winning type, you know, you're going to spend $150 a person type restaurants. So there's like Binkley's and a few other spots like that. But I, I actually almost never eat like that myself. And I think most people don't. That's especially not, you're out there on a vacation. You might splurge once, but you're not eating like that every night. And yeah. I think for any other purpose, there's really really great food to be found pretty much all over the valley other than surprise surprise is pretty bad <laughs> well with all those recommendations maybe dodger fans better uh plan on spending the rest of spring trading in arizona because uh sounds like there's a lot of places to eat um let's get back to baseball i guess gavin lux is listed at number four on your top 100 uh obviously we dodger fans are excited about gavin lux and the one thing that Stuck out to me. Uh, listeners, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, you should fix that now. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a link, Keith, that specifically so people will know that they subscribe because of you? If you go to any of my articles, um, I think you can go to theathletic.com slash K-L-A-W. I believe that'll work. Okay. Also, if you just go to any of my articles, you're not a subscriber. Obviously, it cuts off after a paragraph or two, and you just subscribe right off of that. And they keep track of all of this stuff. Okay. I mean, I... I it does not, it's not like I'm getting paid by the subscription. However, it's nice. I want my yeah. bosses to know that like, I'm actually delivering on, on what I promised I could deliver. So Absolutely. It, it does help. Yeah. The athletic was worth subscribing to even before they got Keith law. And now it's even more worth it. Uh, pretty much almost all your favorite baseball writers, right? For the athletics. So you should subscribe. And then you could read this whole top 100 where Gavin Lux is listed at number four. And like I started to say, before I got distracted, one <laughs> line that stood out to me was, uh, you said that if, if Lux is playing shortstop, he's a star for anyone. Uh, what do you, what do you like about Gavin Lux the most? Uh, there's, I'll tell you this. There's nothing I don't like. I saw him in high school and I liked him. Um, I question sort of present strength at the time. And, you know, was he going to get too much power obviously? Cause he was kind of small. Um, not, uh, not like Nick Madrigal small, but small for, you know, he was, 18 or so and hadn't come into much of his man strength, so yeah. to speak. But I liked the at-bats. I thought the swing really worked. I liked his defense at short. I thought he was, you know, above average runner. You might get a plus time, but it was just also, he was athletic and had good instincts at short. I really liked the actions, plenty of arms. This guy can pretty likely stay at the position. And then after the first year, first year he was fine. And then the second year he just kind of exploded. It's like, oh, this kid, he came into some strength. And also he's just a better hitter than I think anybody realized. It is hard to get a good read on high school position players from cold weather states. Um, you know, Lux and Jared Kalanick, both in my top 10, both out of Wisconsin. 
and in their drafts, Lux certainly should have gone higher. And I think there's an argument. Kalanick probably should have gone higher. He's sixth overall and probably should have gone first or second in that draft class. Uh, I think part of it is just we have a hard time as an industry getting a read on kids from cold weather states where they play short spring schedules and those kids don't face a lot of quality pitching. It's kind of the analog to what I was talking about international catchers who don't face, who don't catch a lot of quality pitching. If you're from New Jersey or Massachusetts or Wisconsin or even Washington state, you just may not see a lot of your position player. You just may not see a lot of quality pitching. You may not even see a lot of guys throwing very hard. And so in the case of Corbin Carroll, who Arizona took in the first round last summer, 16th overall, but was fourth on my draft board. It was largely because coming out of the summer before the industry had seen Corbin Carroll face a lot of good pitching and thought he could hit, like he did hit well. And it's okay, this guy can hit good pitching. So he goes back for the spring and nobody sees him face any good pitching. And so, you know, does that make you like him less? No, it just means you didn't get more data where you were hoping to get more data. I think that was probably true on Lux as well. Um, where we just didn't get a lot of additional useful data the following spring because playing in Wisconsin public schools, he didn't see a lot of quality pitching. But now that he has, and the Dodgers have been very aggressive with promoting him, it's clear he was a better hitter than I think maybe anyone, maybe even including the Dodgers, realized at the time he was drafted. Do you know if there's any, like, you know, a lot of the things you were just talking about, about Lux and Kalenic, is kind of the same things that people talk about with Mike Trout when he was drafted, you know, he, he slipped to the bottom of the first round Yep. because, you know, people didn't know, they hadn't seen him face good pitching, so they didn't know how good he was. Do you think, and obviously I, I'm not saying Gavin Lux is the next Mike Trout, uh, <laughs> but, but do you think, is there anything that scouts can do or teams can do to kind of try to identify these guys, even when they're not facing the top cup, top competition? Some, uh, you know, and certainly the trout thing, I wrote a piece that's, I believe now free on ESPN.com. So it's still up and you don't have to subscribe there. The oral history of the drafting of Mike Trout to also sort of get at, you know, what were the angels doing when they identified this guy as their, I mean, I believe he was one on their draft board um, or no, you know what? I made that up. He was one on their draft board when they got, when it came down to where they, Okay. The two picks that they had, I think he was seventh, maybe on their board, because there were a couple of like obviously he went twenty fifth. There were a couple of guys who were never getting to them in that draft class. Wasn't Strasburg in the class? Yep. I think he. Was, I think that was the same year. So I'm misquoting myself, but they, they did, um, they had him higher than everybody else. So I was trying to get the, at their process, but also talked to some other scouts who saw him that spring and who couldn't quite pull the trigger because. South Jersey baseball is bad. I live close by, so I've been up there a few times since I moved here in, in to Delaware in 2013. It's bad high school baseball. And so it, it is hard to get a read on those guys. I think what helps is when we get those kids into uh, ballparks or environments over the summer before their senior year where they have trackman systems, now at least we can measure some of the the fundamental characteristics like Exit velocity, exit velocity or launch angle to say, okay, here's something we know about this, this hitter that is always going to be true, right? We don't get, we just don't get to measure that stuff the next spring, but we can have that and we can potentially see, like I said, you go to the Under Armour game or the Perfect Game All-American Classic in San Diego, Under Armour is at Wrigley. Those pitchers come in and they throw a maximum of two innings and they're just pumping gas. So You'll often get to see those hitters already faced 95, might have only seen it once or twice, but he saw it. And if he turned it around, that just tells you something. He's capable of doing it. It doesn't tell you he's going to do it all the time, 
but at least it tells you he's got the bat speed to be able to turn on a pitch of that velocity or maybe to pick up spin on a breaking ball. So I think we can try to use these proxies. We're just trying to make judgments off of fairly small samples as opposed to Florida, Texas, California high school position players where they're playing all the time and just generally facing a higher caliber of opposing pitching. And so it's, you have a larger sample to go off of. Yeah. Uh, and so is Gavin Lux the next Mike Trout? Yes, absolutely. But at shortstop. Perfect. Uh, even better. Shortstop's <laughs> better than center field. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, who? <laughs> the next, uh, the next Dodger on your list is just a few spots below Gavin Lux. That's Dustin May at number seven. Um, Dustin May is somebody that, you know, we, we're excited about as Dodger fans. Uh, some of it is just the look, you know, everybody gets excited about, uh, a guy with a unique look and he's definitely got a unique look and, the, and then <laughs> I love you the look, yeah. And then the you gritty. watch him pitch and you're like, Oh wow. He also has some really filthy stuff. Uh, yep. what, what's your, uh, you know, tell me about Dustin May. Great athlete. Um, really, really athletic pitcher and a guy who's able to make a lot of adjustments um, over the course of a season, even I think within the course of a game. Uh, I think about what was it two years ago, he just added a cutter, just added what I mean, there was nothing lacking in his repertoire anyway, but he just was able to pick it up kind of like the old story AJ Ellis tells about Clayton Kershaw, yeah. just picking up a slider and Kershaw throws him. So is that any good? And AJ's like, the hell, right? <laughs> that was ridiculous. Like that's how people talk about Dustin May picking up that cutter. And he already had the fastball and he already had, I mean, he really had the full arsenal. There was no point where you were saying, well, what Dustin May needs is another pitch, but he has one and now it's really good. And he throws a ton of strikes and there are like minor things in the delivery you don't love, but he's got a history of health. He is so athletic. He really, really repeats the delivery. Everyone loves the way he competes I mean, very quickly. When it became clear Walker Bueller was Walker freaking Bueller, it was all right. Well, who's next? And so, you know, sort of there's Dustin May. All of a sudden, it's, oh, he is next. He's the next guy they won't discuss in trades. He's the next guy who has the Bueller type upside in their system. And I mean, give them credit. The Dodgers don't draft high. They're in the middle to the back of the round every year. They have a lower draft pool, so they've got less flexibility. And yet they keep finding guys. I mean, their drafts have been relative to where they pick. Their drafts have probably been as good as anybody in the last five years. Do you have a sense on how much of it is good picking and how much of it is good player development after they've picked? I think it's both. I really, I really do think it's both. I, I like their drafts pretty much every year. I like what they're doing. There's a limit, you know, their picks here and there. I don't care for, but generally I do like it, um, what they do, but also they, they're doing some very specific things in player development that work. I think they're probably the best team right now at optimizing swings. They've got a number of pretty notable success stories and far fewer failures. There are a lot of players. There are a lot of teams trying to do this optimize for launch angle and it screws up some hitters. Some hitters hate it. Some hitters lose their swings. You know, some guys get their swings altered with the help of player development and then kind of don't get back to where they were beforehand. I don't really think the Dodgers have examples like that. Um, I think they're pretty good at identifying things they know they can change, only trying to do it with players who, um, for you know, whatever reasons, are maybe more receptive or more capable of executing those changes and then getting real results. And, and you know, it's not just the Max Muncy, Chris Taylor guys where they essentially got something from nothing in both cases, but it's taking a guy like Will Smith, who at the time of the draft seemed like a real quality backup catcher, really catch. People love how he works with pitchers and he's got good on base skills. There's not much power there. 
and they optimized his swing. They, they believed he had the exit velocities that showed he could hit for power, worked with his swing. And now, I mean, I think Will Smith's going to make some all-star teams. I think he's a 20 homer catcher, gets on base and adds value with his defense. There are not many of those guys around at any point, not just today, but at any point among major league catchers. Yeah. So Dustin May is the next Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller. Will Smith is the next Mike Piazza. Yep. And Gavin Lux is the next Mike Trout. Man, this is yep. a, I'm getting some good stuff here today. Future is bright. Yeah. yeah. Okay. On that note, we will end today's half, the first half of the interview with Keith Law. Uh, thanks again to Keith for taking the time to talk with us. We will be back tomorrow for the second half where we talk about the rest of the Dodgers in his top 100 list and a few guys who did not make the list. Um, and just some overall Dodger prospect talk. A lot of fun. Uh, be sure to follow Keith on Twitter at Keith Law. Um, you can subscribe to The Athletic. If you haven't already, just go to theathletic.com slash klaw and uh, subscribe there. Seriously, uh, it's I don't subscribe to many websites, but The Athletic is more than worth it. So check that out. Uh, and yeah, like I said, we will be back tomorrow for the second half of the Keith Law episode. Please subscribe to Locked On Dodgers wherever you get your podcasts. If you have Apple Podcasts, even if you don't subscribe or don't use it, go ahead and subscribe there to help other people find us. Uh, You can subscribe to Keith's podcast, the Keith Law Podcast, also in all those same places. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Locked On Dodgers. Vince is on Twitter at Vince Semperio. I'm on Twitter at Snydog. You can email us, LockedOnDodgers at gmail.com. Uh, leave us a voicemail or shoot us a text at 323-863-LOCK-5625. We are here every weekday morning. We hope you will be here with us. When you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Dodgers. And remember, you don't have to agree. You just have to listen. We'll talk to you tomorrow. D. I say D-O. D-O-D-G-E-R-S. The team that's all hard. Oh, hard and all thumbs, they're my Los Angeles, your Los Angeles, our Los Angeles. Do you think we'll really win the pennant? Bye!